You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Good afternoon and welcome to NBDA's Bicycle Retail Radio. I am Chad Picard. I own a couple bike stores in South Dakota and serve on the NBDA board and record a couple podcasts occasionally. When I was a kid, I would pedal to one of the local bike stores. It was a store called Bike Masters here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. My friends and I would stare at this bike in the window that was not only way too big for us, but was a little bit out of our price range. We had paper routes was our source of income for bike stuff, but the bike was a Gary Fisher CR7. We pedaled to that store often. We loved looking at that bike and, and there were other bikes, Gary Fisher bikes at the store as well, but there was something about that one that we really loved. And that was my first Gary Fisher experience. And ever since then, I've loved the Gary Fisher brand and had many of their bikes. And I'm incredibly thankful for Gary's advocacy efforts in our industry. I share that story because today's guest on Bicycle Retail Radio is none other than Gary Fisher himself. Good morning, Gary, and welcome. Good morning. Great to be here. Well, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk about bike stuff. I'm sure that's maybe something you do every day. I think so, pretty much. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about in the bike world. There certainly is, and it's the same for a lot of us. So today we're going to talk about something that happened a little bit before my time, or maybe when I was born, actually. We're going to talk about the bike boom of the 70s. And about all I know is that a lot of bikes were sold, and I'd like to think that the Peter Frampton Comes Alive album was part of that bike boom, but I'm not sure that's the case. Maybe that's just something in my head. But tell me a little bit about the bike boom. Well, the bike boom technically took part only during 1973. Bike sales in 72 nationwide were around uh, 4.7 million. Bike boom came along and even though like, oh brother, it was crazy to try to get a bike. You'd go into a bike shop, there'd be three bikes on the floor. You'd say, I'll take it. And the owner would say, no, no, no. Those are the samples. You get the order off of that. And you'd have to wait like six weeks, you know, to get your bike or something crazy like that. That year, we sold 15 million bikes in the United States. And then the very next year, it shrunk back down to like, I think it was like 7.4, something like that. Wow. You know, so it was nuts. And that was perpetrated by the gas war. Okay. And the gas war... Boy, that produced lines around the block of people in their cars trying to get gasoline. And bikes had really been coming on for a while. And uh, just in the, the whole like ecological movement, you know, Earth Day, the whole thing. Scientific American came out with a story on the bicycle that said, hey, this thing is the world's most efficient human transport mode by far, you know, more efficient than any animal. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, in the popular culture, I mean, come on, bikes were cool. It was getting to be that way. I mean, the, the musicians uh, used bikes in, in their songs, you know, the rock and rollers and everything. And 73, boy, we would ride our bikes past the lines of cars. and It'd be literally like thumbing our noses. And, you know, we could do no wrong, you know, it was like that. But things didn't change that much. Things went back to uh, the way they were pretty much. So you mentioned the, the gas wars and was it gas was expensive or it just was not available at the oh, time? It was more expensive, but just yeah. flat out not available. There was definitely rationing and then came along, you know, the uh, 55 mile an hour speed limit. 
and that okay. whole thing. You know, and it was like a whole movement to save and everything. And man, we overturned all that. I mean, come on, my old friend Sammy Hagar. I made a bike for Sammy Hagar. You know, the Red Rocker bike, and he did this song called "I Can't Stand." to drive 55 and within you know six months time eight months time they rescinded that law you know and along came the 80s and it became really popular to like flaunt your wealth be able to put on the nines and big v8s the whole thing it didn't change that much you know from 73 really things went back and you know i i really feel it's quite different now because let me describe a little bit about 73. Yeah. In 73, I think there might have been 20 people in the United States that would consider themselves to be bike activists. That is, people that go into government and ask the questions, go into city meetings, you know, county meetings, all these different meetings. We weren't showing up. Now it's different. We have 45,000 bike activists, people on the ground in the United States alone. 45,000 people that really believe in the bike and know where to go to show up to the meetings. In the meetings now, well, geez, now you would attend by Zoom more. And the meetings aren't quite as packed. And if you decide to show your face in the meeting, you get to the front of the line there, you'd be surprised. You know, you can have an effect. And just anybody that's a bike fan can have an effect to show up and be at that meeting and listen and meet the people. And that's a big lesson too. That's something I've learned. The first thing you got to do when you come in and you show up at these meetings is listen and meet people and you gain your respect. And then you put out your ass, what you want, the things that are reasonable. Cause now we're, you know, this is an incredible uh, change, you know, and that people they're at home, they're with their kids, their families, they have time, they think a lot. I mean, my wife, she used to commute to the city. She used to commute by car, take an hour on a good day, you know, each way. A couple of times a week to the city and then, you know, once a week here in the county. And now she doesn't have any commute time and she's loving it. There's a lot of, all a trek right now, or not all of it. We still have some production lines going on in Wisconsin, really lightly, you know, really spaced out. Everybody's working from home. And, you know, it's going to change. I I think, you know, in the next five years from now, when this thing is over, for sure, people are going to be staying at home one, two days more a week on average. We're also looking at no one wants to use public transit at this moment. People are actually out buying cars again because they figure that's the way I'm going to get into town, you know, to do my job and do my thing. And, uh, you know, they're projecting that in a lot of a lot of cities, communities, places in the United States, we're going to have some really bad gridlock. And that's why the bike activists are really going at it right now and saying, look, we want this real serious bikeways for people now, you know, because the bikeway in history. And I look at it back in when we started putting in bikeways in the 70s in the United States. And a lot of that was just, was like what we'd say window dressing, you know, for a development or something. And the bikeway, it was, you know, sort of moseyed around here, moseyed around there. It didn't really go anywhere. A lot of bikeways have been poorly designed. And boy, the new routes, it's just go more direct. 
the way the some of the bikeways have been done poorly would be you go to an intersection you got to like click your heels twice and spin around three <laughs> times before you can proceed it's yeah. not speed at all you know you look at the the great grand history of the united states transportation system you know we used to get around by rail and trolley and we did really well with that and chairman sloan this guy was a genius for general motors chairman sloan in 1932, addressed his shareholders and said, only 10% of the American people drive an automobile. And quite honestly, only 10% need to. We have a plan to change this. And indeed, they did. They formed a consortium with Standard Oil, Mack Truck, Firestone Tire, General Motors. They bought up 87 different rail entities within the United States. You know, railroads and trolley systems, and they would advertise like crazy about the new coming life in an automobile and your freedom. And they would lower the services of the trolleys and the trains. Instead of a trolley every you know, three minutes, it'd be every 10 minutes. Instead of a train every 20 minutes, it'd be every hour and a half. All 87 different rail entities went into receivership. And then forgiveness of debt, they would turn over the right-of-ways to the municipalities under the provisos that the tracks be torn out and they'd be paved over. So essentially what they did is they took all those great right-of-ways from the rail guys and they made them highways. And they made the interstate freeway system too. That was like a huge expenditure for the United States and a huge commitment to like, you're going to buy a car. This is the only way you're going to get around. And now I've been talking to a lot of bike activists saying, look, it's time to take back our right-of-ways because the automobile guys have failed us. First off, 40,000 deaths by massive crushing in the United States, okay? Second, a huge amount of people died by fine particulate and all the chemicals and then all the lifestyle of sitting in a box and not doing any kind of exercise. And you know, you look at the US and for the first time in history, our 10 year olds, you know, one third of our 10 year olds are pre-diabetic and you know, we're actually slipping on lifespan. And a lot of that's, it is due to various reasons, suicide, drugs, the whole nine yards, you know, besides this, but it's just not a happy place. And people are taking a break here and going, wow. I'm thinking about this and I love being with my family and do I have to be in this rat race all the time? So we're looking at this, you know, and looking at what we've done and the routes we've taken. So I'm saying to the bike activists, like, for instance, right now you can get across the Bay Bridge, you know, the traffic's pretty light. San Francisco to Oakland Bay Bridge, that thing gets totally jammed up. It's like eight miles from, I believe it's about eight miles from end to end. And okay. All day long, it just crawls along. It's a mess, you know? And absolutely, if you took one of those lanes, an 11 and a half foot wide lane, and you made it a bikeway, you would get a lot more humans across the bridge. You know, they've been talking about, oh, we're going to put a bikeway. They, they made a bikeway halfway across with a new bridge, and the second half is only two and a half miles, and they're proposing hanging a bikeway off of the side of it. and it's crazy. Just take over that space. Yeah. You need that space right there. And if you did some actual engineering and you built a double-decker bikeway 
I mean, that, that route right away is about, has about a 16 foot ceiling. Okay. You divide that in half top and bottom. You make two one way bike routes, one each direction. What if I ride a high wheeler or a tall bike? Am I, am I out of luck then? You SOL. <laughs> We're not going to fit everybody perfect, but it will fit a cargo right. bike for sure. But what so, happens, you wall it off on the side, you make yourself a rectangular tube. You don't have so much pollution then, and you'd create a tube for yourself, and everybody in it creates a tailwind. Yeah. It actually would be fast. You know, that, and, you, and all the electric bikes that are coming on like that, it would yeah. actually get people across the bridge, more people. So these are crazy ideas, but they're not crazy. They're like logical. But Well, yeah, and I, my stores are in South Dakota where we don't have the density that you have in your area or in other areas. And and oh. so we have our challenge is, is sprawl and, and our challenge is winter, but each community has its own challenges. So a lot of our, our advocacy is done by our local bike stores. What are three things that they can do? Certainly now is is a crazy time. I mean, we're spending our days on the phone trying to find inventory, trying to connect with customers. It's not just bike stores, it's everybody, but what are three things that we can do to add to our list that's maybe a three simpler things, but we can help move the ball forward with our individual cities? Because I think our cities, like you said earlier, showing up is is so important. And you know, for example, I like the idea of reducing the the trolley stops. What's that look like today in our city? Well, it's changing the timing of our stoplights downtown so that you can't just fly through downtown. You're going to stop at every light. Make it inconvenient. But what are some things that, that our listeners, the, the bike store owners, that they can do to help move the, the needle? I think the basic appeal that nobody really likes to argue with is it, it's about my kids and my money. That's the thing. It's like uh, people are saying or asking, is this boom going to continue on and everything? Well, yeah, because a lot of people are not going to have the kind of finance they did had before to go out and buy a car. Cars are $9,000 a year to keep them going in most metro areas. And then we got this thing, the electric bike and the type three electric bike. Holy Toledo. Those things can make a 10 mile commute an actual reasonable thing. So, I mean, people are the way that they're selling, you know, the high end electric bike are a lot of money, right? But they're cheaper than the cheapest car. And they're a yeah. lot cheaper to run. You don't have to buy insurance for it. You don't have to buy the fuel all the time. The fuel's cheap, really cheap on that thing. You know, and, that's, and don't forget, they're a ton of fun. Yeah, and they do what you need to do. I mean, you know, the electric cargo bikes, I've had one for quite some time. It's the only way to get things done quickly, you know, especially when you get this traffic mess. And this is what I'm saying is you're going to see traffic messes, obviously, in the big metropolitan areas, but you're going to see it in a lot of places, you know, and traffic is one thing, but the real sell to people is like, it's about your finances and your kids. And back to what I was saying, we've got all these kids. I mean, it, you know, we, we take them around in a caravan, you know, the SUV, they never learn to get around on their own. So, you know, I'm talking about people that are more conservative they would appeal, you know, I'm going to save you money, your money, and we're going to, like, make your kids regular humans again. Because, I mean, that's what we tell people. You know, this is a screen-free activity. 
And it's one of the few th- sports you can actually do if you're a teenager or your tween or whatever, you know, as a grown yeah. up. And the Golden Kia's kids love it. That's what we're selling. And we just go back to the basics, you know, and, and it's good, you know, I'll talk to politics to you and I'll tell you to show up to the meetings and all that, but that's not what you're selling. What you're selling is this is going to save you a tremendous amount of money. You're going to go from two car family to one car family. It's a big difference for people and people are going to need that going forward here. So what I hear you saying is that in our bike stores, we just need to keep preaching to our customers that, hey, bikes are great and get your kids on them as right. soon as you can. Get out with your friends, go ride, just keep riding and try yeah, to move the so, needle that way. I'll say to somebody, see how smug that bike rider is? Well, let me give you a secret. He's actually really happy. That's his problem. <laughs> and <laughs> medically speaking, we know now. They're riding a bike makes you happy for a number yeah. of reasons. The latest one and, and where they actually have a peer-reviewed paper on is this movement from side to side. A skater does it. A skier does it. A bike rider does it. You know, when we're moving forward from side to side, a dancer does it. Actually makes you feel happy. And this world needs more happiness. That's what we're oh, selling definitely. is happiness, health and happiness. And so that comes around. I mean, the, the rub is, boy, we're trying to figure out how to defeat a tiny, itty-bitty, teensy-weensy virus nobody can see and everything, and all these protocols. I don't think that's going to disappear, you know, the protocols and everything, and, and how you how you wash a bike, disinfect it, how you take care of your employees, how you take care of your customers, yeah, and have a good time, and don't be so uptight and serious at the same time. That's going to be the, the dance and the art, you know, and, yeah. and a great shop, a great location people want to come back to, you know? We we are realizing, I miss those guys. I hate them, but I miss them. You know, come on. The human touch is nothing like it, you know? The human yeah. experience. So we've talked about the bike boom a little bit. We're in kind of a bike boom now. Obviously, it's a product of all sorts of things. Gyms being shut down, sports being postponed, you know, people wanting to be happy, people having more time. But we haven't mentioned any innovation that's that's gotten people on bikes. People aren't riding more bikes because we have a 35 millimeter handlebar clamp. Are, are those things important or needed? No, no, no. They're not. I mean, it, no, we do have a big innovation. That's the electric assist bike because we can make a bike that's not the lightest thing in the world. And boy, it goes, you know, and it's amazing. You know, how many of those people I see and I see the I look at their eyes and that's that's a thing. And when you see people. The eyes get really big when they talk about it and they feel like, hey, I figured out a way to beat the system, right? And that's it because they they just roar right up to the location. They park immediately. They don't pay for parking. They don't pay for insurance. You know, all these things. It it is a bargain to ride an e-bike. And then it makes things possible. When it gets hot, you're never in that hurt locker going four miles an hour and sweating like a pig, you know? happen so you can wear your suit to work even when it's hot you're doing 12 14 miles an hour and the breeze keeps you cool you know without a lot of effort with almost no effort and then cargo bike man you can go do all the shopping boom 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 get it all done it's amazing and that whole thing is coming on you know and now we've got you know well it's funny we had all the micro mobility guys 
and they're sort of killing each other off in a way. It's sort of sad because those guys are our allies in regards to getting more space in city streets and more money, basically, to like go out and bang our drum and do the whole, you know, get things passed so that we can have more safe space to ride a bike. But it's, I'm really positive on it because you've got, you know, thousands of people now in the United States that have a lot of experience of what a bike route should be and how, how it needs to be. And just the flat out engineering and get this one, Chad, this coming that I see the mountain bikers. Oh, who are the best yeah. trail builders in the world are mountain bikers. And I, I was out at the Red Bull Rampage this year and yeah. talking with these guys building those tracks, those things. And they use some pretty sophisticated mathematics, you know, wheelbase, wheel diameter, weight of different things and their ramp construction and how they do it. You and have to those guys, for the things that those guys do. <laughs> right. Well, okay. And then you got, you know, this ongoing thing, Ray's Indoor Mountain Bike Park, right? You know all about that, right? Been there. You know? Oh, yeah. Been there. Think about it. Ray, those guys, it's wood and the geometry. They take all kinds of people and go out and have a good time. You know, you don't have to be an expert to ride at Ray's. You know, Ray has it wired. So it's taking design of how things, the dynamics, how a bike moves and works and incorporating that into, you know, the urban bike design as well. I mean, why shouldn't a bike route be able to blast right through a building? Because bikes are really quiet. Yeah. And go right over streets and you got like features and go arounds because we know that that's how the mind gets developed, the brain gets developed. You know, you want to make this incredibly rich place for your kids. This is what I'm going back to again, Chad. It's all about your kids. What do people want? They want to save their money. They want to help their kids out. They want to preserve their own health. It's a miracle. I got a friend, you know, you get old. I'm getting old. I'm going to, I'm 69. I'm going to be 70 this year. And my friends are starting to drop, you know, here and there, you know. And I got a friend who... He's a genius, man. He he created this system, computer matching system for kidney transplants. Yeah, baby. 14 different parameters, you know. <laughs> he's a revolutionary, but he's been yeah. having some health issues. You know, he's had cancer a couple of times, and this last go-around was bad, you know. And the doctor said, oh, man, I don't know what we're going to do with you. And he, he got an e-bike, you know, a mountain bike, and he's back. I can't believe it. And the doctor said, awesome. I don't know what you're doing but you're doing the right thing. And it's that thing of, you know, you can ride. You've always got a place to sit. You can do your efforts, what you need, you know, it's just, and to be out in vitamin N, vitamin nature, you know, that's important yeah. to and everything, you know, it's a miracle, you know, what we bring in everything. And you can't forget that. And it's like, Hey man, it's like this. You just don't understand. You just got to say, well, these people, sometimes we're having a really good time. And the best sales pitch I've ever seen is like a uh, guy who says, you know, I discovered this. I've never been so happy in my life. I would love to share it with you. You've come to the right place. Let's go. Yeah. You know, and it's really different now. Right now, everybody's doing their research online or I'll just call them up, you know, and do that. And so that is off the hook at this moment as is the information what's sure. going on because damn bikes are not are, are complex, right? And you were alluding to that, you know, all the different yeah. standards and different things. What standard? 
we don't what standard we have very few standards <laughs> fun fun is the only standard you know it's like and we constantly you know, the whole industry has gotten away from just a few standards when i was a kid that was a, another thing in 73 oh man there weren't that many different types of bikes you know i mean there was a road bike you know a drop handlebar bike and then a lot of the mass you know the big makers they would try to make that something that a regular person could ride and they put uh, we'd say cheater levers on them you know that is you know brake levers that came up on oh, the yeah. bar they made the brakes not work well at all Correct. stem shifters which are real dorky and it was awful you know because the saddles were awful uncomfortable they get flats all the time we've gotten better you know, as an industry yeah. a lot better i mean the bikes are really nice you know what we ride now and i say to people it's the standard is constantly evolving okay the important thing is that we create the supply chain for all the new standards that it's there, you know, like boom, there's a tire, there's a tube, there's a, a rim, there's a spoke that you have support. That's the most important thing. You look at how like 27 and a half came on in just a few years, all the makers said, hey, why not? Let's just go. And they did. It was great. You know, so now it's people are playing around. The design thing is one of our guys, Travis Brown, he had a story in Pink Bike the other day sure. about He's playing around a 32 and 36 inch wheel sizes. He laughs each other. Yeah. I was astounded with the response from the pink bike readers. They were open. They're, yeah. And you, you know what? I heard a number of times in there. I was like, man, you don't want to go back to a 90s mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truth. You know, all that, I've been really pleased with the, the industry in that. The designers that we've got there, there's some incredible people, you know, doing some great work with it. And what creates more growth in the mountain bike world is the youth leagues and um, things like NICA and then more uh, trail building. Oh, brother. You know, it's so amazing. Seen the growth of NICA in this region. There's a Z3 youth triathlon program that's been huge. But what's great about all of that is and even trail building is seeing mom, dad bring their kids or the kids say, mom, dad, come ride with me. You can use my my race wheels every day except <laughs> my race days. We see that more often than not, which is which is amazing and, and absolutely love. We have we have vendors. We have we have retailers. Where are vendors succeeding and where do they need to work a little harder? Well, well, right now they're succeeding. They can they can sell anything and get their hands on at the moment. It it's back to that dance, you know, with your okay. your cut. We've leaned over backwards for so many years, you know, try to do everything for our, our consumer, and we forget that we bring a lot of health and happiness. And we let our if if you let your shop, your business disintegrate into like the fight of just trying to survive, you know, and survival. Boy, man, it's just been some. You know, I see it so much. I mean, good people that work super hard and they're super skilled and everything. And then they blow it and don't price themselves correctly and they suffer like crazy, you know. So it's really important that you know what your cost of doing business is. That's the big thing. You know, it's like you go in to buy a car, you know, and you go with your sales guy and you say, well, it is what I want to pay. This is what I want to pay. Can I get this price? Can I get this price? 
And the guy says, you know, the sales guy said, well, I got to go back and talk to my manager. He's going back to a computer terminal. He's plugging in exactly what you're going to buy. And they got it figured out. They got figured out, you know, I mean, all the expenses, right? All the salaries, all the expenses, everything. He'll come back to you and says, no way, man. That's under my cost. That's under my cost. I can't do this. My boss won't let me. Now, I see a lot of dealers when you say, well, what's your cost? They go back. They get the invoice from uh, the vendor. They divide up the, the shipping by the number that came. They add it to the item. And I say, that's my cost. And it's like, no, dude, you're forgetting everything, all the expenses and everything. And I think it's much better today. People are much better about, you know, doing their inventories and looking, you know, and having a system. But boy, I don't know. At times, it's been less than half of my dealers know what reality is and they shoot from the hip. And so, you know, yeah, I'll match that price. And so they sell the item and they, it's like wrapping a $20 bill around the item and they give it away. And they slowly, slowly, slowly give it all away, piece by piece by piece. And well, no, you know, and then you've got, they'll get cowed by people. People come in and say, hey, man, they'll showroom you. Hey, what do you do? Hey, what do you say about this? You know, come on, man, you know, and uh, that can't happen. You know, you bring health and happiness and smiles. This is part of the dance that's hard. And that's what I don't want to see people go back to. Be proud of what you do. You know, it's like we think we in the bike industry, think that somebody can watch a YouTube video of how to like just change a flat even and learn it. Anybody can learn that. No way, man. 70% of humans, they don't want to touch it for good reason too. I mean, a lot of time they'll mess it up. It'll take them forever. And you just take that thing of boom, 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 boom. And you'd go, huh? How'd that happen? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a, a skill. And we, or a whole group of people, like 80% of us work on our own bikes. And the other 20% know exactly who a great mechanic is, you know? And that's where I'm really, really happy. There's a lot more organizations bringing up the skill. And there's actually a couple of universities offering courses and things like that and how to become a bike mechanic because it is a real art. And everybody should be absolutely proud of what you do, you know? Yeah. That's the thing, you know, you got to be proud of what you do. You got to be proud of what you're bringing to people. And then you can smile and be reasonable. Yeah. I I think a lot of it's human nature not to value what we can do well, but we have to, because I have customers that they have the money and they may know how to do the tube themselves, but they don't have the time. And so there's value in, in that the mechanic that can troubleshoot that electronic shifting or fix that creaky bottom bracket in 30 minutes. I mean, there's, there's incredible value to that. So we have on bicycle retail radio, we actually have another episode that's going to be coming up where we're going to be talking about a little bit about that, you know, that customer that wants the better deal and looking forward to hearing that one, that one will be mine as well. But yeah, it's, I think as a somewhat younger industry, a lot of our retailers are learning the hard way that you have to value your inventory, you have to sell it for that MSRP. I think one of the challenges maybe, and this might be regionally, is that 
we're, we kind of have golden handcuffs on. We can't, we, we struggle going beyond that MSRP. If a bike has an MSRP of $499, can we sell it for $549? Well, we can. We need to add value to it. But a well, lot of retailers struggle with that. I know. And that's a great tragedy, you know, really. And, you know, people, East Coast, West Coast, oh, man, you know, customers make sport out of like, they can have all the money in the world and that they, they love to brag about how they, they bargained you down, you know, and that's, that's a big deal. And you don't have to play the game, you know, and you want to come back here. We just smile a lot and have a good time, you know, yeah. and, and we take care of problems and make it work and everything. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that it's a sight game for a lot of people. I've seen guys, they'll get five people walk in and tell them they're ripping them off and they believe it. Unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. And that just don't get cowed and don't, you know, listen, don't be an idiot. Don't be mean. It's not easy. This podcast is brought to you by MBDA membership and industry donors. To continue providing education and content like the podcast you're listening to now, we need your support. Go to mbda.com and join or donate today. We do hire a lot of people that have bike experience and don't necessarily have sales experience. An excellent salesperson can handle every objection and close that sale with what used to be a handshake. Maybe it's just a nod these days. Yeah. But it's no, such, it's such a great sport. Chad, all the sales books and everything, there are a lot of them out there. And you oh, know there why? Are. Because they work. You know? Yeah. yeah. All that stuff. The human thing works completely. And that's it's been the typical thing. I mean, a good old surly mechanic, you know, the grimy high sh- handshake, the guy who's got a mild case of Asperger's disease, you know, and classic. It's like, there's somebody coming in. There's somebody coming in. And you're working on this bike. And you, come on, go away. Go away. I just want to work on this bike, man. Go away. Go away. Go away. Go away. And then, can I help you? And then they go away. And the guy's totally happy, right? I did. You know, we, we deal with humans all the time. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's like those guys, a lot of the time, I like to keep them in the back. They're happier. My customers are happier. A lot of shops, oof, they can't pick and choose. They've only got a few people. And we, yeah. we put ourselves in this situation. You know, it's like, I see good mechanics, really good mechanics. They come from good families and the family finally says, hey, you gotta get a real job. And they become an auto mechanic or something else, you know? No good, we lose a really good person. It's our problem, you know? We don't charge enough, we don't pay enough. And it's like, I'll tell you, it's not just the US, it's a lot of countries in the world, the bike mechanics don't make a huge amount. And it's really sad, because you know, I mean, you know, you get, a really good mechanic and that bike is bulletproof and there yeah. it is you know? and then it's the flip side of that it was when i was a kid i started working in a shop i was 14 schwinn shop san mateo bike shop larry ellsworth the owner he taught me how to patch tires you know we used to patch inner tubes and we'd do a hot patch you know we'd like put this stuff on it put it on fire you know <laughs> <laughs> oh man but i swept the floor a lot and i learned how to put together stingrays orange crates the varsity like this and we used to give a 30-day free check okay and i think a lot of shops still do that isn't that right yeah most do 30-day or one-year service yeah, yeah. well 
it's sort of funny because that's making a statement. It's like, okay, I got a mechanic, a race mechanic, and I get a guy that he's gotten into the leader's jersey. We're going to put him on a yellow bike tomorrow or a, a polka dot bike or something. Mm-hmm. I throw that mechanic a box of parts and a frame. And the next day, I got this bike that I'm not going to say to the rider, well, okay, part of that 30-day check, you say, oh, yeah, the cable stretch and uh, you know the parts sort of wear in and things like that. Would I say that to one of my racers? Uh-uh. Because <laughs> I've got the mechanic that totally stresses the bike correctly, all the parts and everything, and makes sure it's just dead on. You're nodding your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And those guys, I wish every mechanic were as good as those guys. It's like when I've got a bike, you know, we're trying to sell a bike for 10 grand, 15 grand. Oof, it's got to be perfect, right? Yeah. You know, it's amazing. So it's that's the type of standards we want to get to. And then the turnover, too. Have a quick turnover. I mean, and who do you learn from? You learn from the auto mechanic guys. I mean, the prestigious brands, they'll do everything to like keep you rolling and give you the service and everything and take care of you and everything. Now, okay, those are in better days. Today is a situation where um, some of your mechanics don't want to work right now in the situation. And I, I, I guess it varies from region to region somewhere. Sure. And uh, we weren't prepared for this onslaught. But I'll tell you, <laughs> this is, it used to be crazy in 1973. I mean, you had nobody to show you anything. The clubs were tiny. You know, the whole, it was ABL of A, then uh, was the Federation, National Federation. And it was small, you know, tiny. All these things were tiny. You know, the knowledge base was tiny. You know, now we've got the internet as a huge knowledge base, and some of the knowledge is total garbage, you know, even on a bicycle, of course, you know, and how things work and all that. But it's still, I mean, and more than ever, man, it's complex, you know. (laughs) I mean, back in those days, I mean, if you learned Campagnolo, you knew the top end thing. In Campagnolo, the equipment would stay exactly the same year after year after year after year and what you do with it and everything. It was not very exciting at all. <laughs> and yeah. today, now i got to have a laptop to work on a bike, and that's that's the reality. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. You work on your own bikes? Yes. Yes, I do. I, mm-hmm. My story is similar to yours. started when I was 14. I've been in the bike industry ever since. So, yeah. yeah. So it was the the mountain bikes. By the way, thank you. That is when when I started, kind of late 80s, and just stuck with it and absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, mountain bike, I'd say it's the places you go and the people you meet. Oh, yeah. We just make the hardware, you know, and make the hardware, like, fun, inspiring, reliable, supported, you know? Yeah. And the experience and everything. And I just, I am so impressed by how many different categories that have come up in the bike world i mean we got people that specialize in the bike parks in tours in guiding you know and all the you know the small towns in the united states that their economies have been helped immensely you know with the whole mountain bike thing and the whole bike thing yeah you know even local paved trails we've had we have a 27 mile mile paved trail in town and people come from all over the country to ride it and it's, I mean, right. to me, it's always been there. It's, I enjoy it. Bare Naked Ladies actually came and wrote it and wrote a song about it. Yeah, it's, 
it was it was great actually but yeah the the tourism that can be gained from bike tourism is is incredible yeah i wanted to go back to e-bikes real quick you in 2014 you gave out a interbike award for e-bike category right and you said something like e-bikes are the next big thing you guys need to get off your butts or you're going to lose to the auto industry it's four years five years later how have we done how have retailers done how have the distributors and manufacturers done i think they've done well i mean last month gm pulled the plug so to speak on mm-hmm. their e-bike program you know that was sort of interesting i i'm hoping that we we're we were good competition and everything i mean uh, the bike industry in the last 10 years has jumped on it super hard you know i mean mm-hmm. it, well, more so in the last few years because they just see the well they see the dollar signs for one thing but it's that thing i mean everybody that does it says wow i'm having too much fun you know this is this is really good and you look at the negative sides you know the battery technology is eh, not the best yet you know but there's a lot of promise of finding more green ways to get those batteries <laughs> and just flat out you know they to use small batteries compared to you know like an automobile a tesla mm-hmm. or something crazy like that those things are just completely different you know the, the electric automobile compared to a bike you know the bike that is an electric bike i like i like to point out all the time now i mean you know i talked about that scientific american article that came out in 73 well e-bike sort of blows everything out of the water i mean that that is by far the, the most efficient powered transport on earth and that's because you got this thing sitting on the saddle helping along with the energy <laughs> you know it's like it's sort of perfect in that you know an e-bike you won't freeze your butt off like you will with a motorcycle because you got nothing keeping you warm but you can pedal on an e-bike but mm-hmm. you don't have to pedal so much that you're a sweat ball so it's sort of like an amazing place i think you know that bike people bike designers they really are good at figuring out how to make something really efficient, you know, and then ergonomically correct at the same time. There's a lot of funny little acts that we do on a bike that you see it all the time. I mean, you see like, um, like the baby maker, which is a brand of e-bike that's being sold direct to consumers that they raise something like $6 million. GoFundMe, I think site, and they I'll have haven't to look that one up. <laughs> I haven't well, seen that one yet. <laughs> oh, man. When you see the marketing of that thing, you'll go, wow, these guys are clever. You know, the way they market it and everything. But they haven't delivered bike one yet. You know, and it's this thing. It's like, how long are you going to be in business? It's like the classic, you know, oh, yeah, we got a lifetime warranty. Yeah. And I think to myself, my life or yours, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know how long are you going to be around <laughs> to take care of this thing? So they haven't done that, you know, because a, a system is really has to have support. That's the thing. And that's where like our own brand is doing very well, you know, Trek, because a lot of people make a nice bike. You know, we make a nice bike, too. But what gives us an advantage is the support, you know, and the support is just following through what you say you're going to do. And let me tell you, that's not easy as it sounds. <laughs> you know, it. you know. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of new brands that have been popping up with no support to speak of. And there are other brands that have like gained 
they worked hard and done their support and then they sold themselves off you know like a public did last year you know as a to a dealer thing so there's some brands coming and going but the big thing for longevity is support taking care of problems and making things work making things work for your customer that's the key. Yeah. And that's that's why we need strong retailers that are successful in their businesses and sustainable, right. that pay good wages and are always planning for the future. That's that's a lot of what the NBDA is, is helping retailers grow and learn. And I think the best thing about our organization is, is just the networking aspects of connecting with other retailers. None of us are reinventing the wheel. We've all had similar problems with that networking certainly helps us out. So that's, that's similar to the vendors supporting us. We're not reinventing the wheel. You know, a lot of the, all the retail stuff, let me tell you, retail has figured it out, you know, and it's just applying the rules that have already been figured out to bike. It, it's pretty mm-hmm. simple. You know, like, like I was saying, I mean, there's sales books, definitely. There's like <laughs> accounting means, you know, definitely, you know, all these things we didn't invent. We don't have to, and we're sort of foolish if we think we're going to, because there are other people there that are far better experts at it. You know, that's been a real revolution for us. A track, uh, I've got people in their 30s, you know, 20, late 20s and 30s, early 40s, and they're telling me what to do, and I love it because they're really good. They know what they're talking about, and I go, wow, this is a breath of fresh air. So we get that in, and then we've also got lifers in the company. You know, like I'm a lifer. I've been there 27 years now, you know. And we've got a lot of those because they've taken care of us, you know. And especially from time to time when something goes haywire, company says, hey, we believe in you. There's a lot to that. None of this stuff are secrets. They're not. And it's really funny. Say, like, you're from the Midwest, Chad. I like to say the Midwest is where the American dream actually works and people actually work <laughs> you know all right at the same time the east coast and the west coast are where the creative ideas come from like i've been in the, the midwest and been in a meeting like and the, the idea goes around and around and around the table until it becomes oatmeal you know <laughs> and in the west coast east coast people totally get it right away and then they're on to something now i must say all this has been changing you know, over the last 20 years in that people travel a lot more and are on the internet a lot more. In the near future, man, I don't think travel is going to come back, you know, in the near future. People are too paranoid for good reason or whatever. It's going to be micro travel. Go find out about your own community for a change, you know, and the bike is that instrument. Absolutely. You want to go discover your own neighborhood? your own community. Back again, Chad, I'm saying, you know, we don't have to be radical thoughts at all. Not at all. I mean, buying a bicycle in a way, I mean, (laughs) going back to the early 70s, oh yeah, you're a radical when you buy a bike. And that's why, you know, the radicals loved it and everything. Reality is (laughs) this thing is the most sensible thing you can do yourself and your family. I agree 100% couple takeaway points. American Scientific says the bike's mo- the most efficient vehicle and we should keep riding them and, and, and trend to riding more so as much as we can. But for the retailers listening, don't forget to sell the fun and just, just get people on e-bikes. There's nothing more rewarding than 
for me anyways, than getting someone on their first e-bike experience, they're never frowning coming back. It's, it's the complete opposite. They are so happy, so excited, but also share your story so that people know why cycling is so much fun. There's, for, for me, it was just, it was a freedom thing. You know, I could walk around my block, but when my parents got me a bike, I could, I could pedal to my friend's house. I could explore. I could, I could bike to other towns that were 10 miles away. And, but those are kind of some of the takeaways that I got from it. I, anything you'd like to add, Gary? You got the feeling, no doubt. You know, just be happy. And remember, people look at you sometime. They think you, God, that smug son of a bitch. And you got to say, excuse me. I'm smiling too much. You know, sometimes you say that. Yeah. You can say things, just a few words that make yeah. all the difference. You know, people look at you sometimes, they'll look at me and they'll think, oh, he's thinking this, he's thinking that. And they got wound up in their stuff. And this is the funny thing. And like I say, I mean, we are largely a bunch of guys in this industry. We are largely, you know, wrapped up in nuts and bolts. You know, we love nuts and bolts, you know, mm -hmm. and we're bizarre compared to. And, you know, I've been watching shops that, uh, well, come on, you just go to the Yelp reviews, you go to Google 360 and you see people say, man, I love my bike, but I never want to go there again. I got insulted. Stop insulting your customers and figure out what that whole thing is, you know. And the whole psychology of that. And for women, the biggest thing you can ever do as a guy is like, just listen, think about it and listen, and don't try to solve her problem for her right away, immediately. That's what we love to do as guys. It's like, I want to solve the problem as fast as possible. I'll be a good, 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 good guy. No, 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 no. Wrong path, my friend. <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. It's like, you know, it's, I, I love going into bike shops. I love going back and talking to the wrenches. And sometimes I'll say, well, you, you got a good girlfriend? And like, it says something. So, you know? Yeah. <laughs> some do, some don't. You got to ask. You know? Yeah. You don't. You don't. And that goes with everything in life. You can make assumptions about a human being. You see them coming at you, what they're saying, what you're doing. But, man, if you ask the right questions, you can find out quite a bit more. Yeah. You know? And not be an idiot, you know, with a thing. Yeah. The biggest thing you can be is like make assumptions that, that aren't true at all, you know. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm really pleased that this whole thing came about, you know. And when in the beginning, you know, in late January, you know, February, we're looking at just closing everything down, you know, all the bike shops and just going on freeze. And I thought, boy. This is really bad, you know, considering the history of the last few years, how, how difficult it's been, that the stock levels were super low because of all the tariff situation and all that, you know, and just this could be horrible. But it didn't work out that way. Things are opening up more and more. It's been closed down in Europe, you know, for us. Our sales have been very good, but still not great just because Europe has been down, you know, because they closed it down. But now they're opening the whole thing back up. So it's pretty amazing, you know, the whole thing. And back to what I said, you know, we got a big chance to change things. A big chance right now. A yeah. much bigger chance than we did in 73. A much bigger chance. Yeah. I'm going to ask the dealers what I want you to do more than anything else is figure out when those meetings are happening, the Zoom meetings, and you'll love it because you won't have to 
go all the way there and come all the way back and you'd be able to take care of stuff from home, you know, and attend that stinking meeting, you know? So figure yeah. out where your local meetings are and start showing up on that thing and become a force because we got, we have a big job to do. The big job is like win back our right of ways, give us space. I don't want a three foot wide path. I want a 12 foot wide path, you know, because I need the capacity you know, yeah. you are not delivering on capacity. When you have 1.3 passengers per automobile, there is no physical possible way that you can create the capacity to put people into the place where they want to go. You know, and it's just simple logic physics that you need to have illustrations because 70, 80 percent of humans cannot, they can't visualize it. <laughs> It's really funny. I mean, we've got people in the bike industry, in the industry, you know, a good percentage of people can visualize things when you describe things to them. But I've found with regular humans, nah, not that well. Therefore, we have to have more of these posters, more of the info type of posters and things like that that show things, you know, and good illustrations and everything that market everything. And that's like you go back to the history of how they sold the automobile. It was like, Man, a lot of terrific marketing, you know? They had a good plan. They had a real plan. And so we, they, need, we need good organizations like the NBDA to help retailers and help them create a plan to be successful in their communities. That's right. Number one is to our dealers is take care of yourselves. That is, you know, pay yourselves correctly, pay your employees correctly, and create a robust business where you get reliability that you know that you feel strong you know take care of yourself number one number one self-examination that is you know get your financial act together and know what your costs are know what everything is and work on that stuff i love bike people i know bike people can do it <laughs> we can i know we can we're going to wrap up our time we are we are out of time but gary thank you for joining me today on bicycle retail radio i really appreciate it uh, always look forward to hearing you speak at different events yeah so thanks for joining us always Chad. thank you very much you have a great day this has been bicycle retail radio by the national bicycle dealers association for more information on membership and member benefits join us at nbda.com mm-hmm.